everybody, it's Unnerved again, coming in on Black Friday. Oh my gosh, that was such <laughs> enthusiasm. I wanted Whoa. to be kind of like a radio announcer for a hot second and be like, what's up everybody, we're back on WIXX, I don't know. <laughs> Monday, Monday, Monday. Monday. <laughs> Alright, but anyways, I'm Christy. And I'm Kelly. And this week we're reviewing Hellraiser from 1987. Pleasantly surprised by this movie. I'm so happy you enjoyed it because it's <laughs> it's one of my top movies, mostly because of the gory aspects, but that's also just me. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's good. It's I, good. We can get into that a little bit later. And since it's the day after Thanksgiving, it's around a family. Wow. Wow. This family. Wow. This is family goals. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, their love story is truly like. <laughs> uh, this is giving me a look. Um, I feel bad for your family <laughs> if that's the goals you're trying to cope for. Okay. Um, Anyways, we're gonna start out uh, something a little different than we've started some of our other uh, episodes at this point. But we want to talk real quick just about the references and the places where we got our information. I watched a really cool documentary. Its name is Leviathan, the story of Hellraiser and Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, which is a very informative documentary about mostly the first movie, really the first movie. I think they go into the sequel at the like last 10 minutes, yeah. but worth a watch. Yeah, and then I read the book that Hellraiser is based off of, which is The Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker who directed and wrote the movie. So he was basically tired of all everybody <laughs> taking his stuff and then making shit movies out with it. And he's just like, no, I'm going to do it. This is my movie. This is my book. I'm going to be the one creating it and bringing it to life for everybody. And so, yeah, that's how he started his film career. Yeah. His directorial debut. Oh. Oh. Fabulous. So, our cast. We're yes. Start going down here. Uh, Claire Higgins played Julia Cotton. Uh, Ashley Lawrence, Christy Cotton. Kirsty. Kirsty, you're right. Sorry, Christy. It's not you. It's not me. <laughs> Andrew Robinson was Larry Cotton. Sean Chapman as Frank Cotton. I believe that is before Frank Cotton is monster. Frank Cotton. Yeah, that's that's human Frank, and then um, he also did the voice of him still. Well. Did in they? some snippets. I yeah. was going to say because they dubbed over some of these actors. Well, they dubbed over a lot of them for like the American version. Yes. So, it, here and there, but he still went in the UK version, I believe, did the voice work for monster version Frank. Oh, Skinless Frank was Oliver Smith. Yes. Yeah, so he played that. Uh, Robert Hines is Steve. I'm pretty sure Steve is the boyfriend. Steve is the boyfriend who has no last name. And he's his name isn't Steve in the book. It's something else, but I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. But it's not Steve. I feel like the monkey from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. And he goes, Steve! <laughs> he just... I was thinking about, like, over the hedge. Be like, oh, it's the hedge. What do we name it? Steve. <laughs> oh, great and powerful Steve. <laughs> um, so I'm going to say what they are in the credits for the Cenobites. But... Yeah. Doug Bradley is the lead Cenobite. He's also known as Pinhead. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Vince is Chattering Cenobite, also known as Chatterer. 
Simon Bamford is Butterball Cinnabite, also just known as Butterball. And then Grace Kirby was the female Cinnabite for this movie. She was, she never played the female Cinnabite in follow-up sequels. And then obviously Clive Barker is the director. Christopher Figg I put as a producer. Um, mm-hmm. And then Christopher Young did the music. Oh my gosh, Christopher Young. Okay, so this guy is so big in the horror community and a bunch of other movies and everything that because he composed also for Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, The Grudge, and then he also dabbled in Ghost Rider, Spider-Man 3. Really? Yes. And then he came back and did Sinister. Oh, I love the Sinister movies. So he has a long list of movies he's worked on, but those are probably the most well-known ones and they're just so sporadic. That's a lot I of thought across the board too. That is quite the resume. Like and to, he wasn't originally supposed to make the music for this movie. No, it was supposed to be a UK band called Coil. Yeah, um, and Coil basically they sat down with one of the people from New World Productions or Pictures who yep. produced this movie and paid for it, and they kind of grilled Coil or like, can you handle commercial? music can you cut something to a film and have these brief cuts and they just didn't know how to do no. that and called back later and said we're not fit for this no. we're not a good place for this and then new world was like okay christopher you're up <laughs> like pretty much and i think he did a great job i love the score for this and all the movies i just listed but yeah i that's that's what i got should we jump in the synopsis Yes. Okay, so we open up. We're in Morocco. Frank is dealing with guy in a puzzle box, and is he's very dropping attractive man. <laughs> he's dropping sacks of cash like it's nobody's business with dirty ass fingernails. <laughs> he, yeah, he's he grungy. Have dirty You're just like, what is wrong with his fingers? I'm like, they're dirty. <laughs> he likes to scratch the dirt. I mean, in there. it was kind of a deserty like. You know what? The fact that he has fingernails, it's a bonus, right? I mean, you have a fingernail problem. I I like my men with fingernails. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I okay, all right. <laughs> so he deals with the puzzle box. He gets the puzzle box. He's gonna go home now with the puzzle box. The puzzle box's name. Pretty sure they never say this in the movie, because I don't remember hearing this, but its name is Lament Configuration. Yes. They primarily say it a lot in the book. Okay. So, can confirm. That is the name. Um, so he's, we, we caught to him now in a bare attic, attic room, candles. surrounded by candles, but the candles aren't like in a circle like they normally should be. They're in a square yes around him and they're all at different levels so i'm like he really threw together these candles they don't look good it's it's kind of funny to me he's shirtless he's sweaty and he's just fixated on putting together this puzzle which in the book so many people could never really solve so he's spent hours just combing over this puzzle box in the book so well, maybe some of the candles burn faster than others, then. Maybe. Maybe it's just too hot to handle. I mean, he was a, a very attractive man. Yeah, but, <laughs> so. a, but a garbage human, which we'll get to. Oh. But he solves the puzzle box, and all these hooks and chains emerge and start tearing him apart. Yes. Immediately, from the get-go, we are in it. Yes. So, uh, after a few seconds of just 
quick chains and, and hooks going all over the place, we cut to the same attic room, and there's like these different configurations just circling with his different body parts. Is this where we see his face on the ground? Yeah, Pinhead is putting together his face like a puzzle. So this originally was shot with Simon Bamford's Butterball. Yes. It was his hand, and they had used animal meat or something like that, which you're not supposed to do. So they had to cut it and reshoot it, and they shot it with Doug, Doug Bradley, who plays Pinhead. So for a long, long time, Simon Bamford thought he was in that shot. It was his hand, but it's not. It's Doug Bradley's. <laughs> oh, boy. But, yes, yeah, so we cut to that, and then uh, Pinhead picks up the box and re-unsolves it, I guess. And then everything is blank. It's back to being a normal room. Yes. And we can assume that Frank is now in the other dimension with... I was thoroughly confused. You were. <laughs> I was like, Christy, what happened? Like, is there a portal? Am I supposed to understand? And I, I kind of confirmed that there is kind of a portal. He pretty much opened the doorway to um, where the Cenobites are. And I'll get to a little bit about that from the book. There's a tear it, in the fabric of the universe. Yes, he uh, opened it up wide and went headfirst into it. Yee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. By choice. Now, Frank did decide that this is what he, he wanted. Did. He so, said, yes, sir. Take me on that journey. Well, in the book, the Cenobites appear and they start to talk to him and they're like, once you agree to this, there's no turning back. So they ask him if he wants to go through with this. And he agrees. It doesn't He agreed to it. <laughs> he, he gave confirmation and, and he went with it. Um, granted, they also did not tell him what he was in for. He just agreed to whatever it is they wanted to do to him. So We get character development for Frank later. Yeah. So, a uh, little bit of time afterwards, we cut to Frank's brother, Larry, <laughs> and his second wife, Julia, his first wife, passed, because he has this strange line when he's talking to other people, he's just like, her mother's dead, and he's referring to Kirsty, who's his daughter. I miss that. Oh, okay. Well, we we'll get to that in a, in a hot second. But uh, that yeah, they are going through the house, and they realize that Frank had been there, but it's in the family and is handed down. It almost looked like Frank was squatting in his own house. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he's a degenerate. He's going all over the place. He's stealing. He's He's not a good person. No. But then Julia goes through his box. His, his little box of yeah, pictures. His box of porno pics. His naughty box. <laughs> yes, and he's got a little statue, too, that they find. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about the statue. And oh. as they're also going through the house, they see, like, a few statues of Jesus. Yeah, there's this weird religious undertone to this movie. Mm -hmm. Oh, and we walk into the kitchen, we see maggots. Cockroaches. Which, those I believe were real, and they actually ended up having to exterminate most of the bugs. Well, yeah, when you use cockroaches, okay, when you use live cockroaches, they're going to multiply like crazy. Cockroaches are a fear of mine. I hate them. I, I mean, the second so you much. saw one coming out of, like, the boneless chicken, you were just like, <laughs> no. Insects are not my thing. A quick fun fact about this. This was all shot on location. This is a real house. Yep. So a lot of the shots in the movie were very hard for them to get because there's this very tiny little staircase where you can really only put the camera 
in one place, up or down. Yep. So there was some interesting things with that, but it's mostly shot in this one house. And it's mm-hmm. shot in the UK. Um, before we get too far into this, this is a British-made film. Yes. I did not know that. I thought it was American-made <laughs> until I did research on this movie. Because Larry's American. I'm pretty sure Kirsty is mm-hmm. American. Frank is. Julia noticeably British, but, like, they said that they meant to keep Hellraiser, or maybe didn't mean to, kind of in a nowhere space. You don't know where it takes place, but that's part of the beauty of it. Yeah. So, yeah, they're going through the house, and they're they're deciding that they're going to move in and redo everything and make it look nice, and they're going to live there. And Julia has a stanky face. Julia's kind of a bitch. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very noticeable that she's not thrilled about the move. She's not really all that into her husband. But the second he says Frank's name, she kind of perks up. Like, her little, like, ears just go like, yes? You talking (laughs) about your brother Frank? (laughs) The hotter one of the two of you? Uh, yeah. 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 Larry is a really nice guy, from what I can tell. They just have a really bad marriage. Yeah, it's it's a kind of trash marriage, and, and Julia's the biggest part of that. Julia's not good. No. So they, they go through everything. They're starting to move in now, and Larry's talking to his daughter, Kirstie, on the phone, saying, mm-hmm. I thought you were going to move in with us, and she's like, uh, no, I found my own place and my own job. I'll just come and visit. Bye. <laughs> Which, good for her. I would not want to live in the house with Julia either. Because they Julia's... They do not get along, clearly. No. I mean, that's not Kirstie's mom. So, that's her stepmom. Julia already doesn't care that much for Kirstie. Can we pause here for a second? Um, I, I think Julia... She must be, like, quintessential 80s woman. Right? She's got the 80s hair. I was like, this woman is not super gorgeous to me, but everyone in the cast was like, Claire Higgins is the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. Yeah, and my brother put it, like, she's, like, stealing David Bowie's look. And maybe... David Bowie did it better. I will say, her style was good. Alright, yeah, but her makeup and and the slick-back-sided hair for on a woman just... Not of our time or no. generation, maybe? I don't know. I always associate the 80s with really big curly hair. Perms. Perms, like teased. Big poofy sleeves. High ponytails, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. I'm not expecting the shorter slicked back on the side, but poofy on top. I will say she looked fierce. I mean, she was working it. She seemed confident enough, but, like... Oh, she had plenty of confidence to go around. That was part of the problem. It's definitely a a gap in the generations because we weren't alive during this period of time. No. So, it's it's just the, the age gap. Okay, but anyways, mattress movers. Yes, the mattress movers are kind of hitting on Julia, and they're just all ignoring it. And they're trying to get the mattress upstairs... And Kirsty shows up to kind of help unload, and they make a comment. These are the people that make a comment. She gets her looks from her mother, and that's when Larry looks at them, and he's like, her mother's dead. And they're like, oh. <laughs> and then they shut up, and then they get beers, and... I will say this part, so these two movers, Pinhead, originally had, or Doug Bradley, originally had the 
choice of whether he wanted to play one of these moving men or if he wanted to play Pinhead. Um, and he was thinking about it. His original gut reaction was, I'm an actor. I need to make my living showing my face. I know I'll be in prosthetic makeup as Pinhead, yeah. so maybe I should do this mover instead. Uh, no. I'm so glad he decided against that. Right. He's, He's such a good villain. I just love him as Pinhead. His voice is so good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's it's just part just of what makes that A character. plus. So... Alright, so as they're unpacking, Chrissy's making coffee for everyone, Julia's on another level of the house unpacking little knickknacks, and she finds the room that we initially saw Frank in performing his little puzzle box, ri- puzzle box ritual. Do we have a moment, is this where it drops down below the floorboards and we see the thing underneath the floor? A little bit, yeah. So, let's talk about that real quick. Okay. So that was a condom. <laughs> That yeah. someone took a straw, basically, and blew into it so that it would look like a heart. A heart. Yeah, it's supposed to be his heart. <sighs> but yeah, she goes in there and Julia is thinking about her time with Frank. So her she had met Frank the night before her marriage to Larry. Mm-hmm. Frank shows up, dripping wet literally because he's in the rain leather in the rain he wants in he she lets him in she's seems the happiest she's ever been in this she's whole movie like, Ooh, fresh meat <laughs> he is getting a little rapey with her but then she consents so it's not rape and they have sex on her wedding dress so good this is how in the book she's so wearing the veil while they're doing it in the book I'll go through some of the book, okay. the key differences in the book when we get to the book, but I really wanted to put that, like, she's literally wearing parts of her wedding attire while having sex with her future husband's brother, brother the night before the actual wedding. This is a red flag. <laughs> well, Maybe you should yeah. not go through with your marriage. Yeah. But yeah, they that's actually a rather graphic for the 80s scene. But he only could have two thrusts. Two yes. thrusts, because if they put three in, they weren't going to give it an R rating. It was going to be way too, too explicit. Sexual. Too many thrusts. Don't do that. A one, <laughs> a two, and no more. <laughs> <laughs> but they have that scene, and you find out that she has at least had one sexual encounter with Frank. Yes. And uh, we also kind of cut to, like, right after... They're both butt naked on the <laughs> bed. Mm. And we see his full fronter for like a split second too. So. <laughs> really? I don't even. I'm, yeah. I she was wearing a little like. I don't know. Uh, lingerie kind of? Yeah. He cut it off of her. Oh, with crazy. his little switchblade. But yeah. When they cut to after the sexual encounter. They're both. Yes. Yes. Bare naked. Um, And at this point. I don't know if we mentioned this. Larry bled all over the ground. It wasn't there yet. Okay. Right as she's thinking about all this. That's when he comes in. We're cutting between her memories and Larry trying to move the mattress. So he's groaning trying to get the mattress up while we're also hearing Larry, or Frank and Julia's groaning from her memories. So, and the second that they're, I'm sorry, family, they're climaxing. (laughs) (laughs) 
he scrapes his, the back of his hand um, on a nail. So that's happening simultaneously in the movie. This cut on the nail. It's a rough, it's a deep cut. My question is, if you were moving a mattress like that and you could feel it bump against your skin, would you actually be able to cut yourself that bad on a nail like that? Yeah. You think so? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mattresses are heavy enough and he was the only one trying to pull up. So with enough yeah. force and you're trying to pull something that heavy, you're gonna, yeah. Yeah, you could. It's disturbing. Again, I mean, I'm not they, big on the gore. I know. But it's a it's a good gore moment. It's not my favorite. We're not there yet. I have a favorite line in this movie. Does that count? Can yeah. I have favorite lines? Yes, you can have favorite line. I'll have favorite death slash gore moment. And those are our seconds. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he's kind of uh, woozy when it comes to blood. He can't look at his own blood. So he's going up to find Julia. He's splashing blood everywhere on the floor. And not just a little bit. This man is bleeding. He's bleeding out of his hand. Um, Julia and Kirsty get in the car and drive him to the hospital. And then we cut back to the room and we see... All the blood soak into the floorboards like it, like through a straw. Like, like that. Eh. And we have Frank coming out of the floorboards in his skeleton form. This is probably the most, like, it, as far as practical effects go, this was very cool. Well, initially, because they had such a low budget when they first got approved to make this movie, he was supposed to just come through the wall. Yeah, he was like a little animatronic thing. Yes, and once they got a higher budget, they redid the scene, and that's that's the scene that we see now. So, there's several different things going on in this scene. Yeah. I remember when you asked, like, how bad is Hellraiser? Like, how gory? How many times are we going to go in? Like... <laughs> It's not so much, like, gory, it's just squishy. Definitely squishy. (laughs) Gooey. Gooey was the word I kept using. (laughs) So what they did, they set up a rig for the floorboards, so that when you see the floorboards kind of shaking up and down and the nails coming out, that um, is all animatronics. And then the way they filmed Frank is they did it, they filmed it in reverse. So they filmed destroying his body and then played it. Yeah. Reversed. And they had, like, strings that were supposed to be his veins that they pulled out so you could see his veins go back into his body, and he melted and it was yeah. Lots of KY jelly again. I mean, it's it's one of their main recipes for blood. Because it thickens it up. Well, they could just use thicket. No. <laughs> it, that doesn't... No, that's not how that works. <laughs> No, Kiwi, no. <laughs> um, the, a quick, real quick on this, since it's in Leviathan, the documentary I watched, the crew, in order to film a lot of these practical effects scenes, they had to go to a bunch of supermarkets and buy all of the condoms and the KY jelly that were in stock. So they would go and they'd be like, I need all your condoms, do you have any more in the back? And get these strange looks from shopkeepers. <laughs> Yeah? One of them was apparently asked, are you going to a party? And he just figured it'd be easier to say yes than really explain (laughs) why they were doing what they were doing. Yeah. 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 So, alright. Now, now Frank is ooey gooey coming back Mm -hmm. to life. We cut to dinner party. Oh, the dinner party. Which actually happens like a couple weeks after 
ever, all that happened. And they're, it's like he's all patched up. They're all drinking. Julia's clearly had enough of it. So she excuses herself and she's like, I'm going to go to bed. And Kirstie's drinking a lot, eyeing up Steve, who's doing cigarette tricks. Yeah, he puts it in his mouth and then he takes it out. Yeah, and it's still lit. Ugh. I mean, that uh, it's fun. You can put that on your resume, I guess. Forget uh, tying a cherry stem in your mouth into a knot. Okay, so, uh, I mean, that's a sign of a good kisser. Then what's this a sign of? Um, <laughs> a rough tongue? I don't know. <laughs> oh. Wouldn't it burn He's him? just lit. He's just straight lit. He's lit? He's just straight lit. This man is fire. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, Julia excuses herself, and instead of actually going to bed, she goes up to her little attic room, because in the book, that's where she goes to escape and kind of calms down and gets away from everything, because it's just a quiet, dark room. Nothing to distract her. She just breathes. And that's when we see... Um, <laughs> Skinless Ooey gooey Frank crawling. He's like flailing on the ground towards her like a freaking zombie he coming out of the grain. He hasn't yet grown his leg muscles. His muscles aren't there yet. So he's got like, if you know, like in Deadpool 2, when yes. he like, yeah, it's like that where he's like missing, like just a short. <laughs> Look, he skipped leg day a few times. You never skip leg, leg day. <laughs> Don't ever skip leg day. Anyways, but she freaks out, and this, her acting gets so soap opera, like, like, it's, she was, oh my god, ah! She is a theater, originally a theater, um, person. Oh yeah. So, overacting sometimes. But, like, it, it reminded me of a very bad soap opera, like, that acting. That's fair, that's fair. And, and Frank is like, don't look at me, but look at me, it's me, it's Frank, and we're like, you make signals, dude. <laughs> but she realizes that it is Frank. She's convinced, and he tells her that it's blood. I need more to regenerate a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Doesn't give her that much information, just says, I need more blood. And so she's like, uh, I need to think about this, essentially. And she goes down, and she starts talking to Kirsty, who's drunk as a skunk. Um, and Kirsty's just like, trying to get out of the conversation and go back to the party. It's a very short scene. Basically, it makes you think, oh, is she gonna, is she gonna take Kirsty? Yeah. Uh, no. No. She doesn't do anything at this point. Well, Steve also kind of shows up and is like, hey, you coming back down? And she's like, yeah, so. And the party ends. Is this where we go to the pet shop? No. Kirstie's being walked home by Steve. Oh, yeah, they're, they're making googly eyes at each googly other. Googly eyes, they make a little bit. He's going to stay the night at her place, but it's on the floor. Not, we can't really assume that anything happened. I mean, she's... I totally assumed. I mean, you can, but it's not, like, out it's there. It's not pivotal. They're not sharing the same bed. They're still got clothing on. It's not, like, it's okay, yeah, I guess. Has, oh, gosh. He could have been too drunk to drive home or walk home. So yeah. like, there's, a, there's a lot of different things. But um, she has a nightmare. Yeah. And then calls her dad. Because mm -hmm. it's a nightmare about her dad and is afraid that he's hurt or anything. He's fine. Julia has been up all night thinking about Frank. 
and it agreed some of that. Yeah, she wants Frank again, um, and she's gonna commit to getting him back to normal. Yes, that's her relevation. Larry knows nothing because oddly and enough, Kirstie's gonna go to work the next day. Yeah, oddly enough, this story is kind of a love story. Very twisted. But it does include a love story. Whoa. Frank and Julia forever. That's my true ship, Christy. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. Okay. You know my one true ship. Who's your one true ship? Natsu and Lucy from yes. Fairy Tale. Is <laughs> yes. anime. Yes. It is good good stuff, but we're not doing anime. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Oops. So, Kirstie's at her job at the pet shop. She's dealing with a Karen mm. with her so with her bird. We show this pet shop scene. I thought Julia was going to go straight for animal killing. No. That was where my brain went. I went, well, he just said he needed blood. He didn't tell her what type. Julia right. wouldn't go straight to murdering, right? And then he would tell her, I can't do animal blood. I must have human blood. But that was not the case. This is Kirstie's scene. Yeah, Karsty um, is dealing with a Karen and her parakeet. She's like, I need to speak to my manager. She's like, uh, manager's out, sorry. And then she notices this sketchy-looking homeless guy walking around. And you find you see him then eating the crickets that are more meant for the lizards. Um, Kirsty kicks him out. They, you later... Steve checks on her. She's okay. We're not... Yeah. No, he, I was going to say what he's called. Well... We'll get to that. Okay. At the end. Spoilers. Yeah. So. I was just saying if we have a name for him. We'll we'll get to him him again. Two point We. <laughs> oh. We'll we'll see the homeless guy again, but for now he's kicked out. He's back out of the story for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julia is at a bar in the middle of the daytime. No ring. She's. Looking like her David Bowie fly self with those shoulder pads, though, and those sunglasses. She ready to lure a man to take her back to her place and get him slushied. I don't know. Uh, she on the hunt. She on the hunt. A drunk enough guy comes up to her and she takes him home. And he's very sleazy. Like, he's immediately, the second they walk in the door, he's trying to advance, and she's clearly not into it. Yeah, so very clearly. Very clearly. Like, she, she's not hiding she's it. She's not even trying to kiss him. Like, but the thing is, he's so drunk, he's just... And she's he's like, that's what you brought me here for, right? Is mm-hmm. to get it on. And she's like, I I guess. I suppose. And, he's, and then she kind of hesitates with the kiss. And he's like, don't back out now and starts getting very hostile with her and then calms down because he he wants to do this so she takes him up to the attic and he takes off his pants and then he's gotta go use the bathroom well she locked him in the room grabs a hammer bat bat he's he's down on the ground and struggling you get you got me real excited for this part I'm like, what is her method of killing? And <laughs> I thought it was going to be something rad. And she just pulls out in a the, hammer. In the book, it's a knife. She See, straight up stabs him. 
But no, and I'm like, I was dropping all these cents. I'm like, wow, he's really hammered. Nobody was picking up. Wow, I didn't even know. Nobody that. was picking up on my hints because we had my brother and Justin there too. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, he's really hammered. Wow, he's go he's thinking he's gonna get nailed. <laughs> like I'm making all these like hammer jokes. Nobody's guessing hammer, and then everybody's <laughs> surprised when she grabs the hammer, and I'm like. Wow, I guess I was too subtle. <laughs> in, this scene, in this scene in filming, they said she got really into it. Uh, and Good, I would too. Would, I think he, that would be fun. Yeah, all he had to do was duck and get out of the way. And they do the scene, the guy ducks, no big deal. And after cut, it was just really silent in the room because she almost legit hit him with the hammer. Yeah. 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 She went A+. plus. 10 out of 10. Yes. She, and she so done she did kind of knocks out his teeth. This this is hard for me to watch. Yeah, too. she teeth, dislocates but. his jaw, bashes him in the head like two or three times. And then Frank's like, uh, go. And she's got blood all over her. So he sticks his fingers into his neck and kind of starts slurping him up like through a straw. He's a smoothie. He's a smoothie. It's like in Texas Chainsaw that we just covered. Uh, like yes. Grandpa and, and... Grandpa and Frank would get along very well. Oh. oh, no. Who's better, Grandpa or Frank? Frank. Even though he's a rapist? Is he? Yeah. He's a serial rapist, and he steals a lot. Oh, I didn't realize he was a rapist. Was that mentioned in the movie, or is that picked up on It's that? underlined in the movie, because he initially is going to... Oh, that's right with Kirstie. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay, um... Grandpa's just drinking the blood. Yeah, but Grandpa's a serial killer as well. Not anymore. He's in a wheelchair. He can't do that shit anymore. But he did. Okay, he he just killed an eight. Frank killed, slurped, <laughs> raped, stole. See, I'm more about Frank's <laughs> aesthetic than I am about Grandpa's. <laughs> Okay. He's got he's more badass than Grandpa is. He, I I will admit that. He he aesthetically he is more pleasing to look at than crusty grandpa. Oh, uh real quick about skinless Frank. He was in a full body suit here. And oh yeah. I, I had to make all of them. And there is yeah. a moment where he has ribs and what they did the actor who played skinless Frank, Oliver Smith very skinny man. They tried to find the skinniest person they could so that they could put a bodysuit on him and not make him look weird and bulky. Yeah. Um, but he has ribs at some point. Those are made of perspex, which is like plexiglass. Yeah. Um, and then underneath they had made inflatable lungs so that you could see him breathing. Yeah. Which you, I'm not sure how much you get in the film. I didn't notice it. I loved the makeup, but I didn't notice the lungs. I noticed it a little bit. But then again, this was my third or fourth time watching this movie, and you know so I can for. I can start looking for the little details that I much enjoy. Um, but yeah, I think that's really cool. And so he's dead. Julia's gonna go clean herself up. Larry comes home, says a weird thing about you want a cookie little girl, and he's like, she's like, no, I just want some gin and tonic and whatever. And well, okay, Larry did a good husband moment. And he's like, what do you need? 
I'm here for you. What do you need? You're not feeling good. What can I get you? How do I make you feel better? Yes, Larry. As soon as he realized she wasn't feeling well. He was yes, the immediately second. like, I am here. I'm in your court. Yes. What do you want? Yes. And Julie's washing the blood off of herself in the bathroom. Yes. <laughs> so She does not deserve Larry. No. We, we wrap up that. We kind of cut to her doing this again with another guy. Yeah. We Frank's fast forward a little better. bit. Frank's <laughs> healing. He's getting his muscles. He's smoking cigarettes. And he's he, in clothing. And this after the second one, he tells her about the Cenobites. Yes. Coming after him and how once he's back to full health, they need to go on the run to be together. Yes. And also because he escaped them and he yes. doesn't want to be caught. He also tells her why, right? He kind of says that yeah. he's experienced all the pleasures, sexual pleasures. That Pleasure and pain go hand in hand. Yes. And they're indiscernible with the Cenobites. Yeah. Um, and so he explains all of this to her. And yeah. So, and then we cut to Larry um, and Julia watching wrestling. Larry's no, doing, they're watching boxing. Yeah, Larry's doing little punches in the air. I'm like, yeah. And Julia's yeah. normally not comfortable watching violent stuff, but she's totally chill now. She's like, I've seen worse. And he's like, okay. And it's the middle of a thunderstorm. Larry almost goes to go check on Frank. He doesn't know Frank's up there, but he hears a noise. And Frank is literally storming around the attic like a temper tantrum baby and he's just slamming himself into walls making as much noise as possible like a child so julia is trying to distract larry from going up there saying oh the lightning and the thunder it scares me but i'm also really into you right now so i'm gonna try and seduce you so i can distract you from the noises yes so <laughs> They go, and they start making out. I mean, good. They're married. That A+. Plus. Mm -hmm. Consenting adults, whatever. And Julia, has, like, feels something off. Like, she knows Frank's around, but she can't see she him. She sees the attic door, and it's, it's open. open. And she's like, Frank isn't in his little hidey hole. And she's no. like, oh, no. So she's, as they're making out, she's, like, looking all over the place. And Frank was hiding in their closet. Watching. Let's have a good time. And he walks out like he's going to go ahead and kill Larry, but instead he's opening up a little rat and flipping it over. And Julie's like, no, not Larry. I don't think she can handle that. Mostly because she knows him. I think she needs that separation. Not that she loves Larry, but because she needs a separation and not in, in that way. Fun fact. This rat scene was added at a later date. This was another one of those things that they had more money for and to add more to the movie, they added it. Other thing that, that was discussed, the rat that he cuts open is not real. No rats were harmed in the making of this film. They had to prove to New World that these were not real rats. So yeah. Christopher Figg, the producer, brought in the animatronic rats and had to prove that he could make them move and stuff to prove that this wasn't a real rat that uh, Frank yeah. was cutting open. Yeah. Which, good. I'm, I'm cool with that, too. Making sure no animals were harmed. Anyways. So, Frank kills the mood. Like, what the heck? Yeah, and <laughs> Larry's even confused because Julia's like, I don't, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And Larry's just like, okay, one minute you're all over me and now this. Like, what? What do you want? <laughs> like, he's so confused. 
Next day, Larry is going to lunch at the Chinese restaurant with Karsty, saying that Ju something's up with Julia. She won't leave the house. Can you go and try and be friends with her? Maybe she just needs another girl to talk to. Maybe try and make a new bond with her mm -hmm. and move forward. Karsty is like, for you, Dad, yes, I will try. I will attempt. So she goes to go check on Julia. She catches her bringing in boy number three, man number three, into her lair <laughs> to get hammered <laughs> to death. Yes. So she hears the ruckus and Kersey's running up the stairs. And by the time she gets to the attic, the guy is like half sucked up. He's out of the so doorway. He, like yeah, he's wrinkly and bloody and just, he's Yucky. like screaming, help me. Frank comes out, sucks the last of it out. <laughs> hey, it's Uncle Frank. <laughs> <laughs> it's me, Uncle Frank. And she's just like, uh, no, you ain't Uncle Frank. And he's like, yeah, it is. And then he says, come to daddy. Come to daddy. He's like, you're so beautiful. You grew up to be I, such a beautiful Oh, he's so friend. disgusting. Like, he's making advances on his niece. Uh, apparently, in the uh, theaters, when, that, when he comes out and says, it's me, Uncle Frank, or whatever that line is there, people would laugh because it seems very absurd. Because he's almost doing jazz hands, but he's he showing is. that he's not, he's like, a, a threat. Right. <laughs> but the way he does it, he's like, it's me, Uncle Frank. <laughs> <laughs> very odd. <laughs> but is making a lot of advances towards her, saying you must make your daddy proud. Mm -hmm. Oh, So she is trying to evade him and gets lured into the attic herself. Yes. And is looking for weapons or anything to throw at him to kind of get away. She grabs the puzzle box. Mm-hmm. And he freaks out. She notices that right away. And she she's very quick. She's very quick with that. And she's like, you want this? And he's like, don't touch it. She's like, if you want it, then effing have it. And she throws it out the window. Distracting him enough for her to bolt down three flights of stairs. Goes outside, grabs the puzzle box herself, and flees the scene. Was she hurt? Because I think she was kind of hurt in this whole... Or maybe just shocked. Because she She collapses. was in severe shock. She wasn't injured. All the blood on her is from Frank's ooey-gooey body. Ooey-gooey. Yeah. So, then we cut to her waking up in the health institute. Yes. Uh, and something about we're going to need to ask, have to ask you questions. She has the puzzle box next to her. And then the doctor leaves and closes and yeah. locks the door. Won't let her call her dad. She doesn't really remember everything right away because right. she's still trying to piece it together. Um, but they leave the puzzle box. They're like, hopefully this will help you remember. And yeah, they start. she starts looking into it. She solves it. Ta-da! And the wall opens up. Ta -da. And she decides it's a good idea to go down the hallway that just opened up to her. And then she runs into the scorpion cinnabite looking thing, which is known as the Engineer. Yeah, which they don't say in the movie, but that is his name. Yes, he plays actually a very pivotal part in future movies and in the books. So the this character was played by about eight people. Yeah, it's huge. Oh, it's very very big, and they push it along a trolley down the hallway, mm -hmm. and then someone's inside the main part of the suit controlling his arms and his face and stuff. But, mm -hmm. 
the original shoot of this in the movie, which may be cut out now, I didn't go back and look very closely, you can actually see one of the crew members peek around the engineer to see if, it, if it's time to push him down the hallway. <laughs> uh, I, this is the least successful prosthetic uh, monster in the entire film for me. I would agree with that. I still think he's creepy as hell, but like when he starts to actually move, that's the the, the, the kicker. If they actually had him like on the wall and just like not even notice Kirsty, and he was just stationary moving, oh, that would be creepy. That would have been so much more effective, in my opinion. Yes. But having him like just, you know, when dogs are swimming over water, yeah, that's what he looked like to me. Yeah, it does. It doesn't look like his feet hitting the the concrete or the tile, right. whatever it was, is actually moving him. And the hallway was so short that she had, like, Kirstie had to do a slow motion run and just do hops to help her hair bounce a little bit <laughs> when she's running awake. So when she's running, she's not, like, full running. She's just kind of running in place and doing extra hops to make it look like she's running forward. Yep. And then Good. they sped Good it up times. a little bit for the movie. I thought that was... I wouldn't have known. No, it... It was well done. So she escapes Mr. Engineer. She said goodbye. She yeah, and the wall, the wall closes. Yeah. But then the other four Cenobites appear. Yeah, so this is really the first time we've seen we see them in the entire movie, correct? Since the first scene, correct. We're going to take a moment. I want to talk about their prosthetics and their costume design. Do it. So, Pinhead. It took six hours to apply the makeup to Doug Bradley, which he did so often and so and helped so much by himself that he was actually credited as like a makeup assistant in the movie. I believe that. That's what good. originally happened was the reason he's called Pinhead and not quote unquote nail head because it looks like he has nails on his head. They originally used pins and the pins when they did the screen test or the film test, you couldn't see them. So they decided to put basically a nail over the top of the pin that would fit very snug inside the little hole that they had for the pin and then glue a little metal disc on the top so that it would stay in place. Mm -hmm. And that's why they look more like nails. But the nickname Pinheads, it stuck. Basically everyone besides Butterball and basically Chatterer had a nickname on set. His was Pinhead. Yeah. Well, the female... Cinnabite was originally called <laughs> Deep Throat. Yes. But that was too dirty. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. They, they just changed it to female, which I think is better, because Deep Throat has a lot of double meaning. Yes, it does. Especially for a female. And, yeah, and especially with this movie who has, who, that already has so many ties to yeah. different sexualities, it's not... It's not needed. No. Um, and then his costume design, the costume uh, designer, I'm forgetting her name, but very talented, she was given three things by Clive Barker to put into these costumes. Number one being, there needs to be areas of revealed flesh where some kind of torture has occurred. Mm -hmm. Number two is something associated with butchery needs to be involved. And number three is something she called like a Clive Barkerism which is repulsive glamour. Yes. So Clive was a big... He was big into, like, the different bar scenes, and he has proclaimed himself as gay. 
He is married to a man. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. So, uh, pseudo-masochism is, is the route that they were going mixed with punk. So they, th- it had to look like the Cenobites were in constant pain. Yeah. And almost gender fluid. Yeah, I totally see that. Yes. And in the book, Pinhead was originally identified as a female, but only like once or twice. So Pinhead's originally a female in the book. Oh. Which I'm glad they went with Doug and, and changed it to male because he, he's so right imposing. Yeah. And I, I like the female Cenobite. She's crazy. Love her. <laughs> so what they had on... The, the reason that Doug Bradley as Pinhead doesn't move... He moves very... They called him almost regal in the documentary that I watched. Uh, but he's very stiff. There are fish hooks in the back of his neck costume that doesn't allow him to turn his head. Yep. So he didn't... Yeah, and he couldn't see very well with the blackout contacts. Right, so he had a little bit of trouble. The female Cenobite and him are also inspired and were originally supposed to look more ethnic or African in origin with the piercings through the nose and stuff like that. But they went with something, I would even say maybe... uh, looking for the right word it almost feels sterile a little bit yeah so that's what they did with that the butterball makeup salmon bamford could not see or hear in this makeup and he said he literally broke down in this makeup one time nobody knew but he it's he said it was very very lonely uh and then he his stomach is open it it was supposed to be a way where he could quote-unquote play with himself Mm mm-hmm (laughs) which is so nasty. Butterball was also supposed to be more of a leader, but when they went through all the prosthetics and figured out that Butterball couldn't really do that much, they made Pinhead Mm -hmm. the leader of the group. And then the last one, Chatterer, he was supposed to have pointed teeth. They had went and got dental actual stuff made, and that just didn't work. They wanted him to appear more human, so they changed that so he has very human teeth. He is supposed to be like the dog, yeah. Of the group. He also could not see or hear in his makeup. Yeah. And on set, people didn't know it was a person in a prosthetic makeup suit, and they would trip on him. Someone apparently sat on him without Aww. realizing it was someone inside, and that he can't speak in that makeup, really, so... They, no. Butterball and Chatterbird were supposed to have dialogue, but their prosthetic yeah. makeups did not allow for them to do so. Yeah, they had equal dialogue for each Cenobite. <laughs> that did not happen. No. I would have been very interested to see which lines were originally supposed to be Chatterer oh, and Butterballs. I, I, because, I mean, Pinhead and the female go on such a long monologue that I'm just like, okay, which one of those lines were supposed to go to Chatterer and Butterball because... Each one would probably have something different mm. to do with their uh, ways of uh, torture. Yes. So Pinhead is obviously the hooks and the chains. and I mean, the female has, like, a giant hook that yeah, she, she scrapes around. Chatter has a lot to do with the face. <sighs> Ooh, other fun fact about Chatterer. Chatterer and Pinhead's makeups both shrunk. For their face so they have this opening in the back that they had to figure out how to cover up pinhead they did with a leather strap and it made it really hot chatterer they also i think put a leather leather strap but then they filled it with blood so when you get that back view of chatterer's head 
it looks like the hooks that are in his mouth are, have also pulled in the back of his head. Yep. Which, actually, blessing in disguise, I think that's really cool. So. I Yeah, it's... Sometimes mistakes make a lot more sense than what you initially had planned. And fun fact about the Cenobites, they were all originally human. Which is not something you find out in this movie, but I did no, find that out. No, but I wanted to kind of put that out there mm -hmm. that all four of these characters were supposed to be human at one point. Now, the engineer, that creepy scorpion thing, he's not human. That makes sense. He's like Leviathan's pet. Ew. Yes. Um, what kind of pet? He is, he runs the mechanism of the other dimension. And can you remind me exactly what Leviathan is again? Oh gosh, that's, uh, Leviathan has a lot of different terms. Let me look up, like, probably the one that's the most linked to this. Do you want to keep going with the synopsis now? Just, we'll yeah. do a little Leviathan snippet here well, at the end. So, anyways, they show up. Kirstie's still freaking out in the hotel room. Chatterer comes over to mm, subdue, capture her. He straight up sticks his fingers in her mouth. Yep. And and kind of leads her around by the chin. And then we turn over to Pinhead. She's like, who are you guys? What the heck? What is this? She's freaking out. And he explains to her, we're explorers from another dimension. We're seeking carnal experiences with pain and pleasure combined. Yeah. And then my favorite line that he says um, is that, let me make sure I do this right here. Um, they're considered demons to some, angels to others. That line, demons to some, angels to others, is so cool. <laughs> like, yeah. And Doug Bradley's voice. Is that your favorite line? That is my favorite line of the entire movie. I would say it's my favorite line, it's too. It's so cool. It is, it's like, the fact that your villain is probably more neutral than it is pure evil. Frank, I would say, is pure evil. The Cenobites, I would say, are neutral, and I really like that when something is really gray and yeah. it has so much you can explore. They, I wish we had more of them in this movie, but we don't. Yeah. <laughs> did you look up Leviathan? I did. So Leviathan, I was going to say, is based in like the Jewish lore and is like a serpent of the sea and is a very powerful monster, but in the Hellraiser universe... It is also known as the god of flesh, hunger, and desire. And it's just the main deity of what pretty much controls or, like, takes in and rules over the Cenobites. So, hmm. the engineer is, like, his pet, and the penhead is, like, his, like, high priest. Huh. So that's kind of, like, their rankings. Okay. And, um, the engineer... In the books, this is not... I think it's also in the movies. I, like I said, I haven't watched all of the movies. I've watched a hefty majority of them. But the engineer is the initial thing that kicks that tricked Pinhead into opening the configuration mm. to re-kickstart the mechanism for Leviathan. Okay. So, and the, the, the other dimension is actually a labyrinth. Ew. So it's a big labyrinth, and it's constantly moving and constantly changing, and each section holds all these disturbing torture Well, that's areas, actual hell to me. Which, <laughs> like, in my opinion, makes sense, especially with Frank, because as we're about to get into, when Kirsty 
says, well, you know a guy named Frank Cotton, he escaped you. That's probably why they didn't notice right away is because they were away from his area. Mm-hmm. And he was resummoned into the attic because that's where his heart is. Oh, my gosh. So. Yeah, so, yeah, she bar- she tries to bargain with them. Says, let me go, I'll take you back to Frank. And they kind of say that, okay, we'll think about giving you your freedom. We'll think about it. We're not guaranteeing it. If you can prove, and basically Frank has to confess that he's escaped. Yes. And so, Karsty grabs her stuff and goes to the house. Yep. Confronts her dad. (laughs) We're going to get there for a second. She confronts her dad. Dad's kind of looking a little worse for wear. Yeah, dad's seen better days. He's like a little bursting at the face seams. Yeah. Um, and Julia's magically all happy right now. So Julia runs up to where Frank's room is and she sees a dead bloody body. Just curled up in the middle of the floor with candles a, around. Do we have a sex scene between Frank and Julia here? Before mm-hmm. Kirsty gets home? No, she, uh, Julia thinks about it. At one point, because we're not supposed to know that that's Frank yet. Because, well, I mean, yeah, at this point, I think it's both simultaneous. Julia yeah, and, like when she's coming home, they... and Frank got it on again. Frank is wearing her dad's meat suit. <laughs> Yummy. <laughs> and Kirsty doesn't know. She goes up to the attic, finds the dead carcass of what she thinks is Frank, but it's not. Because Frank is feeding her realizing, oh yeah, well... I took care of my brother. He's dead upstairs. So she sees dead body. She assumes it's Frank because she's trusting her dad. Pinhead shows up and is like, we want the man who did this. And she's like, that's my dad. You can't have him. And she bolts. This scene was the first scene that Doug Bradley filmed as Pinhead. And when he delivers the the line, it's fine. We want the man who did this. Mm -hmm. He actually pauses between we want the man and then, who did this? And he didn't like that he paused, because it almost seems like he's asking a question instead of yeah. saying a full sentence. They didn't have enough time to reshoot it. But he was nervous. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. But yeah, Kirsty bolts and is going to try and save her dad. Because she thinks now that the Cinebags are after her dad. Yep. And then, Frank, of course, has to open his big old mouth and say his dirty, sketchy catchphrase, Come to daddy. And then she's like, oh no! You're Uncle Frank! Uncle Frank! It's me, Uncle Frank. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she's gonna go hide. She hides in the suitcase room, which you find out <laughs> in all the suitcases are the dead bodies of the guys that they slurpied. They have a wonderful uh, dummy here that pops out of the closet with maggots that spills out of its mouth. I don't know if she didn't scream. I probably would have just died right there. Yeah. She she held it together, and she also was going to hide in a closet, but a Jesus statue comes out and does a jump scare. Oh, my gosh. It's the only part of the movie that scared me. It's just a <laughs> Jesus statue coming out of nowhere. <laughs> um, but, yes, he is looking for her. She keeps quiet really well, and then he leaves. And then she does dumb and then goes out in the hallway and just starts crying loudly in the hallway. And Frank pulls her into the attic. Cenobites come forward. And yeah, they're he, like, he confesses. He says something like, he confesses. I killed you. This is your yeah. dad. Like, 
yeah. and you're next or something. I don't know. At first, he says something along the lines of, oh, we forgot about Julia. He kills Julia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that too. He stabs Julia with his switchblade. He means to go for Kirsty. He misses. He hits Julia. And then Julia's like, but my love. And he's like, I never loved you. Slurpy time. Yeah. <laughs> he his fingers in. He like, was straight up using her throughout everything. That was a question I asked you at the beginning of the movie. I went, does he actually love her? And you said, that question will be answered. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So, Cinnabite Shop, they are like, this is not for your eyes. You have to leave. Frank keeps going after Kersey, but he gets hooked. Mm-hmm. Like a worm and a hook. Uh, he, he gets hooked and he says his line, Jesus wept, before getting ripped apart. I'll do my fun fact then you tell me what that is. What you just want to do. I was going to say that Jesus Wept was improv It he It was kind of improv He did approve it with Clyde before he said it. It was still improv because the original line was, fuck you. I'm so glad they changed it. As Me much too. as I don't understand what Jesus Wept really meant, we, you are going to go talk into that. But yeah. I, fuck you, wouldn't have had the same weight to it as this does. Right. So, Jesus Wept is the shortest Bible verse, or one of the shortest Bible verse. I think it is the shortest one, but it depends on the translation you're going with. Um, and it's from Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 35. Um, and in that section, they're talking about resurrection and life and how Jesus wept in sympathy over with, sorry, uh, wept in sympathy over Lazarus's death. This is going to sound stupid. Remind me who Lazarus is. Oh my gosh. Uh, listeners, I'm not the best when it comes to Bible knowledge. I did attend, like, I had a first communion, but that was a long time ago. So, Lazarus, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull up an actual description so that I say it right and we don't have to clarify later real quick. Um, so, let's see... He is also known as St. Lazarus and is died after Jesus rose again. And it's very difficult to kind of pinpoint because there's so many different translations. Um, I'm sorry, I opened up a can of worms. You did. I'm you sorry, did. I'm sorry. Well... <laughs> So Lazarus was also resurrected at... at but he dies, yeah, right? Yeah, he so dies Jesus and was resurrected. Um, yeah, he's he's known as one of the saints, Lazarus of uh, Bethany. Okay. So he, he, from the... He rose from... Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead four days after his entombment. Okay. So he was imprisoned... He rose again. It fits very well with Hellraiser. That's pretty much the connection you need for Hellraiser. It's also Andrew Robinson who plays Larry and then Larry as Frank. He said it's one of his favorite Bible verses slash lines. Very interesting that he chose to use that as the final words of a villain. But now something that's really cool about this that I, for some reason was so enthralled with this movie, I it, I didn't connect the dots, really. Like, I knew it was the same actor that played Larry. But he embodied Frank so well. Yeah. He did good. He did a very good job. But 
yeah, this is my Chrissy's favorite death scene uh, when oh, Frank gets yeah. ripped apart again, and it's just very visceral, very close-up shots of hooks going tearing through flesh. And he licks his lips. He licks his lips because it's pain and pleasure and indiscern indiscernible from each other. It's he's back. He's got a, Pinhead's got his hooks in him again, and Chrissy's gonna run away. They had to... Females... Hold on. We're almost done. We'll finish up the synopsis and we'll go through our fun facts. Oh, it's related to that scene. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. They actually... Um, there was a lot more that was originally filmed for this scene, where you actually see his head like explode and stuff. Yeah. They had to cut that out mm. because of ratings. I know. A big sad. I would have liked to see that. You, probably nowadays that would have flown, but in Maybe the 80s, we'll... Maybe they put it in deleted scenes. Maybe we can find it online somewhere. We should try and look for it. We'll try and look for it later. Um, but yes, so Christy's trying to leave, female Cenobite traps her again, and is like, maybe we want you. <laughs> so she grabs her puzzle box and starts unsolving it again and finds out that it's a way to get rid of the Cenobites as she goes along. So <laughs> one by one, they start to go. Steve shows up, tries to help, but he's kind of useless. <laughs> he's, he's such a side character. I just, uh... He's he useless. <laughs> he's moral support. He also, uh, this entire ending here with the little lightning that you see that's like shocking her, this was um, made or done by Clive Barker, and then he says a Greek friend, uh, where in a weekend they hand did all of these special effects. Yep. That would be so much work. They did that in three days. That is insane to me. You probably, they probably didn't sleep. I can't imagine they slept. I, I imagine doing all-nighters with a bunch of pizza. Lots of za. Lots of za. If they had podcasts, they'd be listening to podcasts. Yes. <laughs> Maybe some K-pop. Maybe some K-pop. <laughs> a little bit. You know, a little, some of them. No, probably David Bowie for sure around oh, this yeah. time. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, she, they succeed. She, they leave the house, and then they are going to set the house on fire. Cut to the last remaining little pieces of furniture on fire. Mm -hmm. Hobo guy shows up! And Kirsty puts the puzzle box in the fire. Mm -hmm. Homeless homeless Joe. <laughs> His name's not actually Joe. Uh, steps into the fire, picks up the puzzle box, and turns into a giant dragon-looking thing, and flies away. And then we cut to... Like our opening scene in Morocco, the salesman making a deal with another sleazy scumbag for the puzzle box. And then we end. And then we'll we'll go into our fun facts, because I know we're kind of pushing over an hour right now. I have a fun fact about the bone dragon. Go for I it. I don't know what else to call him. His name is the Direlict, I think is how you say it. Uh, Aramit is the name. Okay, the real, the real name? Okay, well, Bone Dragon Man. <laughs> he is the demonic guardian of the puzzle boxes. This was last minute. They were, gave uh, one of the people in the special effects departments 30 pounds, said, go buy the weirdest skull that you can find down at the shop, and he <laughs> found a South American taper, which cost 30 pound, 35 pounds, not 30, so he got, ended up getting yelled at for going five pounds over, and then the rest of him is made with a couple of horns and just some plastic skeletons. Yeah. Isn't that great? <laughs> I didn't I tell. I mean... I mean, you and our, our other friends that were watching with us, we're like, wait, what? This is out of left field. It is. But uh, the Aramids are the demonic guardians of the puzzle boxes and are meant to act as the gateways. The puzzle boxes are the gateways to hell. 
the sole purpose of the demons is to lure people um, to their demise, essentially. Hmm. Hmm. So he's like, well, I'm, my work's done here. I'm going to yeet out of here, and I'm going to take this post box with me, and we'll see you at the next sleazy scumbag. Peace out, homie. <laughs> Thanks, Kirsty. Hope you find your dad. <laughs> oh, wait. Awkward. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's the movie. Uh, you want to start going through some of your fun facts yeah. before we rate? Do you want me to go or do you want to go first? Um, I don't have too many, so I'll just quick go through mine. Uh, Pseudomasochists from Beyond the Grave was the original working title. Yeah. Um, some things from the book that were different is the book, it flips between the perspectives of Frank, Julia, and Kirstie. So one chapter is gonna be Frank, the next is gonna be Julia, and then it goes to Kirsty, and it is I can see that. It's very graphic <laughs> sexual wise. Like there's like it goes into great detail about Julia and Frank's first sexual encounter mm. and how she's wearing the veil, she's gonna show her new brother in law the wedding dress and figuring out all the plans. And while they're doing that Kirstie's downstairs in the kitchen working on party favors. Ew. So they do it with Kirstie in the house. Ew. Yeah. Gross. No. Absolutely not. Ew. So there's that. <laughs> I don't like it. But yeah, it's much more graphic in the book. And I'm glad they toned it down for the movie because it's just so much. Because they go through... All the different stuff that Julianne Frank did, like the sodomy and. and you know what? No. I'll pass. Thank you. You'll pass? All right. Pass. Let me see if I have anything else because I kind of already said my a lot of mine throughout the description here. Um, so the point of Hellraiser is to understand three basic things in life your actions have consequences, they can be good or bad, and. and can affect people in good or bad ways. And then the first thing you never do is to do something without thinking about what could happen next. Whoa. So those were the life lessons of Hellraiser that I found. Life lesson. Can I have a little gold star? I learned some life lessons. Oh yeah, you get the gold star. Yay! Um, But yeah, I said all of my fun facts and what I wanted to say about the book throughout. Because it's pretty much the book, but it's not carbon copy. It is a lot more graphic. I do recommend it to people. If you're into the horror books, I, I do highly recommend it. It is a very good read. It's a very quick read. You'll get through it real, real fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to real quick just talk about Clive Barker. Cool. Uh, Clive Barker, very, a lot of, he's a creative genius. He reinvented the horror genre, right? So, like, there's a lot of that. Stephen King did endorse Clive Barker's writing in the movie. There, They did use something like, Clive Barker is the next big horror fiction writer to change the genre or something. That's not the exact words. Please don't quote me on that. But Stephen quote, Stephen quote, yeah, Stephen quote, Stephen King <laughs> did um, give kind of his uh, little seal of happiness on it. And <laughs> I give you a little gold star. So Clive Barker originally was in theater. And a lot of the people he employed on the Hellraiser movies were in his theater company, which was called The Dog Company. And he made scripts and plays for his theater company before he wrote what is called The Books of Blood, which mm -hmm. was published in 1984. 
and this was all a collection of short short horror stories. And then he made The Hellbound Heart specifically to adapt onto a screenplay, as we talked about before. Uh, New World Pictures then picked it up, and then they went on their way and did everything we just talked about. Um, Claire Higgins, who played Miss Julia, she originally turned down the part twice before she accepted it. She also never sat through the whole viewing of the movie because she's too scared. Yeah, she ran out in the first ten minutes. Oh, I remember two more of my fun facts. Go! Alright, so Hellraiser also had a comic book that Marvel put out. Ooh. So, big, big spender Marvel was just like, yeah, you get your own, like, little mini comic book series. And in the book, two other of, like, the puzzles are, are mentioned. So, there's the charts that are in the vault at the Vatican. They're hidden charts. They're kind of like a map, almost. Ooh. Um, and then the other option that's not the Lamont uh, puzzle box uh, is an origami exercise, and that is currently in the in the possession of the Marquis de Sade. What's the Marquis de Sade? You can look it up later. Chrissy's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm done with your shit. <laughs> I'm done looking up stuff on the fly. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a very naturally curious person. And it's like okay. Here, I'll, I'll look it up while you... Say some more of your fun facts. Okay, I've got just a few more. Nintendo originally was going to make a Hellraiser video game. Out of, you know, I love Nintendo. It's my go-to gaming thing. But Hellraiser? Like, when I think Nintendo, I think Happy Smiles, Mario, you know, Yoshi, Link, all of those guys. I do not think horror. <laughs> but they were originally going to make a video game. Uh, it did not... Something about having quick saves or something, or spell, or spell saves, wow. Um, <laughs> saves for your game while you played it, and it didn't work out, and the developers couldn't get it to work, so they just left it as it is. And my last type of things here are my taglines. So those are the last things. What What is the... Okay, so Marquis de Sade is a French nobleman. Okay. So the Lamont, or the, sorry, the origami was buried with him. In the book. I wanted to make sure I got his, uh, like, who he was. He's a philosopher. A French philosopher. Okay. So, I wanted to make sure I got his origin correct. It sounds very French, but I don't want to get anything wrong on this podcast anymore. I don't need that phone call from my dad again being like, you got this wrong! Taglines. Are you ready for the taglines? (laughs) Yes. Uh, We'll tear your soul apart. Beautiful. There are no limits. Of course. Which fits in very well. I don't know if you said exactly what bars Clive Barker went to, but they were S&M. Yep. And piercing in particular. Body piercing. Yep. Uh, Satan's done waiting. We have such sights to show you, and my favorite, demons to some, angels to others. That makes sense. Time to score this! I like, I like the No Limits one because it kind of is like, oh yeah, we're like pseudo-masochists and like into BDSM, which you normally you have a safe word. But there's no safe word with the Cinebites. Sadomasochism. <laughs> Alright, so we're gonna grade this shit. If you're new, we have a grading scale. And it kind of just helps us rank where our movie viewing of this week uh, falls in relation to our other ones. Uh, some are A+, plus and some are very highly debated between us. And some of them we both agree are just garbage. 
real garbage. We haven't real. really had a real garbage yet, though. No, not really. I mean, we didn't like the ring that much, but it's... That was also our first episode. It was first episode. We have grown in our six... In our six episodes. Episodes plus bonus track. I mean, we're working on it. I mean, we're always happy to take the feedback. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so our first question... Was it scary or was it a good horror movie? I gave it a six, and the reason I gave it a six is yes, it's a good horror movie. Does it scare me? No. Again, slashers don't scare me. Yeah, I gave it a seven because I loved it. <laughs> and Stamp of and it's scary to some. When I first watched it, I felt very uncomfortable because of how gooey Frank is. That didn't scare me as much That's, as I thought it was going. Well, to. I also watched it in the dark in the middle of the night. By myself. Why? So, I mean, because I wanted to be scared. I wasn't scared, but I felt uncomfortable by watching a gooey man just erupt from the ground. Like, yeah. So that's that's why I gave it, like, one up from you. How was the acting? I gave that a seven. I gave that an eight. Uh, Chrissy was a little bit too much. Just uh, She's just overacted, I think, a little bit. I love Frank. I loved Larry. I, Julia didn't bother me. Yeah, she had her moments where maybe yeah. it was a little much, but for the most part, I really did like it. Kirstie doesn't, d- overacting didn't bother me too much, because I kind of also talked it up to, like, hysteria. Yeah, shock. Shock, trauma. adrenaline, which all can be perceived. Also, overacting can play a big part of that, too. And then, but Julia was my, my downfall because of her soap opera moments. I couldn't handle that. Nope. No thanks. <laughs> Special effects. Eight. I, eight. For obvious reasons. Yeah. All right. Was the story compelling or did it have interesting twists? I gave it a nine. I gave it an eight. I love the Cinnabites. My cinnamon buns should have been in this movie more. That's all I'm saying. Cinnamon bun cinnamon bites. Yes. <laughs> My Taco Bell Cinnabites. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> They're so good. I don't know why you be... don't make those noises. <laughs> oh. But uh, yeah, I gave it a nine for the same reasons. I love the characters. Mm-hmm. I like the dark. I like how it's playing with elements in horror movies that haven't been done too much before, like the it's whole. You. Yeah. Um, and how was the character development and the writing? I give it an eight. Samezies. Yes. So I have a 38 as my total. And so is mine. So that brings us up to a total of 76, which Christy has the scoreboard. I believe that puts us below Alien. Um, That puts us just below Alien. Alien had a 79 so far. Um, So yeah, and it's our second highest rated one so far. That's where it lines up. This feels correct to me. And right below it is Evil Dead. This also feels correct to me. I love Evil Dead. Alright, so did you have any comments, concerns about Texas Chainsaw? Any updates that we had to do? Considering it came out, we're filming this literally... uh, The day it came out uh, for everybody, (laughs) so... so. Filming. Yes, we're filming, you guys. No, we're recording. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, otherwise, I hope everybody had a nice Thanksgiving. Uh, we're, uh, heads up, we're only doing one episode in December. Our other episode would have fallen on Christmas Day. Christmas Day. So we moved it to January 1st, so we're going to kick off the year, um, fresh. Yeah, we felt Christmas Day on a ho- with a horror movie. Spend time with your family or friends and yeah. stay safe, whatever you're doing this year. Yeah. Um, 
So we're just going to take uh, an extra week break. We'll come back fresh on January 1st. So our only Christmas episode is going to be Gremlins from 1984. And I've also never seen that one. <laughs> I love Gremlins. It is a horror comedy. It is fun for the whole family because it's it's low rating. For, this is one you can watch by yourself and not worry about having to sleep at Oh, night. absolutely. And, oh my gosh, the cute little gremlin. Oh my gosh. Little, kids horror. Little gizmo. He's great. It's definitely the starter horror for, for younger viewers. I've shown you the trailer. It's got kind of like the same element of, of like Jaws and, and... And it's Christmas related. It is Christmas related. Um, so yeah, we'll cover that, uh, in two weeks, and... Anything to plug? Um, you, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, links in the description, at Unnerved or Unnerved a Horror Movie Podcast. Uh, if you love our artwork as much as we do, as right. always, go check out Danielle! At Danny Draws Dragons on Instagram. Yes, good, good stuff. Good A-plus stuff. Um, and then... Yeah. I think that is it. Uh, yeah. In the meantime, stay spooky, stay safe, and we'll see you all next time. Bye! Bye.